So here's my one thing that I want you to hear. In just a little bit, we're going to be in Acts 16, um, starting in verse 25. But before we get there, I just want to kind of introduce the topic. Uh, my one thing that I want you, and you'll hear over and over again um, during the message today, is that how you navigate the unknown will determine the outcome. And there's lots of unknown in our world right now. There's lots of things that we're not sure how it's going to go and what's going to happen next. And there's always new things um, popping up in our world here lately. So there's lots of unknowns. And how we navigate that is uh, going to determine what comes of the outcome. So here's a question for you. Have you ever been surprised by God? At the end of something that you were not sure how it was going to turn out, and you see God's hand uh, move through it. Maybe uh, it surprises you that you're even in this room. Hopefully not. I'm not sure why I keep circling this same theme, um, but I'm going to trust that God has um, purpose and intention for it. But this 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 vein of trust me, I feel like there's been lots of texts that... Um, I keep circling this mountain, this how we walk in faith, how do we trust God with the unknown. But here we are again. The kingdom moves forward when we trust Him. Miracles happen when we trust Him. Salvation is available for us and others when we trust Him. And the list goes on and on. This morning we're going to keep on with this idea of how do you learn to trust him with everything, even when you don't know why this is happening, where it's going to go. But living in this place of just going, I trust you because you're you and you've proven yourself to me. The book of Acts is one story after another of God's people trusting him. It's the birth of the church. This morning we're going to continue to see this trust uncovered. So the question um, you can see, the question is, can you see yourself in the story of what God's trying to actively do right now in 2020? I'm going to ask you if you see yourself in the story that we're going to talk about, but that relates to right now. And so I'm going to do something that I resist And I think if I tell you I resist it, then um, it's okay if you resist it. Uh, I'm going to tell you to do something, which typically when I'm in a crowd and someone tells me to do something, I don't like it. I don't like being told. Maybe it's just being a man. I don't know. But I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, and you don't have to, of course, um, to close your eyes for a few seconds before we get in. And I'm going to pray before we get into the Word. And ask God to show you what he's trying to do. And, and, and so ask, say, God, open my eyes. And if you're willing, say, I'm available. Lord, I know that you are long-suffering, and are very patient. Lord, I know and acknowledge that you see things that we don't. You know what's coming next. 
You know where you're taking us. You know where you're taking your story. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have eyes to see you in our story, in our lives. And that you would give us the faith to trust you in moments when we don't understand what's happening. That you would give us faith enough to acknowledge the words that we trust you. And let you determine what happens next. So Lord, open your word to us as we look into the life of Paul. This one story written in Acts. And Lord, let us see the potential of what it means to navigate the unknown. And what happens when we navigate it trusting you. So open your word to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were in Acts 11. Uh, this week I'm going to start in Acts 16:25, but I, I want to give you a little roadmap of what's happened since then. We saw in um, Acts 12 that Peter gets arrested. He's preaching the word. Um, the community and people didn't like that, so he gets arrested. Uh, really cool story. He's actually asleep. In prison, at night, an angel wakes him up, a little knee in the side. He gets up, thinks he's dreaming, or this is a vision. Uh, the angel tells him what to do. Put on your cloak, follow me. And he walks out of the prison, chains are off, through the gates, by the guards, ends up in front of the house where the people, his friends, are praying for him at that moment. He knocks on the gate finally realizes this is reality, this is what's actually happening. A girl comes to the gate, doesn't open it, asks who's there, and Peter's like, it's, it's me, Peter. And she hears his voice, knows it's him, but doesn't let him in. Runs to the, the people praying, Peter's outside, and they're like, no, no, it's just his spirit, it's not Peter. And so finally she makes them go to the door, they let him in, and they celebrate. It's awesome. The next morning... All of those that were responsible for watching Peter were executed because they didn't do their job, which will make a little sense in some of the storyline that we have today. And so verses, chapters 12, 13, and 14 is this preaching circuit where the um, disciples are going around and they're proclaiming who Jesus is. Um, and I think 14, Peter, uh, and this Paul, Paul is preaching um, really good. So good that the pagans that are there believe that this is Zeus and Hermes preaching to them. So they go get a, uh, a cow. I'm not going to be like one of those ox moments. A cow to bring him out to, you know, that's social media. Just look back a little bit. You'll figure out what I'm doing. Um, and they bring this cow because they're going to sacrifice to Zeus and Hermes and Paul is like, like, you've totally missed the mark of what's going on. He convinces them not to sacrifice to them. Um, and they have this moment where he is freed from that and right following that. So he's, he, he gets this pagan crowd to not sacrifice to him. And in gratitude of that, he's stoned to death. I mean, not really. But the next section, he literally... Um, the the Jews are moved by jealousy and they literally stone Peter. 
And we're not talking like little pebbles, like, oh, I'm so angry at you. I'm talking about like fist-sized rocks where that you have people circled around the other ones that you throw rocks at them until they die. This is what happens to Peter, faithful, not sorry. This is what happens to Paul, faithfully preaching the word of God, stoned. And they're like, we're done with him. They drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. Whether he's dead or not, we don't know officially, but they think he's dead. I think God raises him from the dead, partly because uh, when the disciples go to him, they pray over him, he gets up. And you know what he does? He gets angry at the stoners. He doesn't do that. He gets up and he goes back into the city. Like, let me, I'm just, I said this first service. If you stone me after service, I'm not coming back here. Unless I'm, unless I'm sure you guys aren't here. But Paul, he, the first thing that he does after being left for dead in stone, bruised, battered, bloody, is go back into the city. Stayed overnight and left the next morning. And so then this whole, there's this, through Acts, you see the church kind of figuring out who the church is because the church is this new entity that's, there's new things that are going on and there's this whole thing with the Jews um, telling the Gentiles that they have to follow all the creed. They have to be circumcised to be saved. And so there's this whole Jerusalem council where they're like, no, 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 they don't have to do these other things. They just have to abstain from these three things. The church is figuring out it is. And, and most of those things that they're abstaining from is so that they could have relationship with other Jewish Christians. Because they're so steeped in it that they're like, they can't interact with people if they're doing these three things. It was about unity in the church. And so, continuing on in the beginning of Acts 16, Paul and Silas are preaching in a new city. They're sharing the gospel. And there's this little girl who's a fortune teller. She's inhabited by a demon. Gives her power to tell people's fortunes and she's a slave she's owned by people that use this gift of hers to make money and so she's falling around paul and silas and just like in other encounters throughout the new testament i mean throughout the gospels where um, the demon inside of someone acknowledges they know who jesus is this demon inside of this girl is fully aware of who they are and is proclaiming these are messengers from God Most High, they're here to proclaim salvation. And she does this. She's yelling this out, which is not, she's not even heckling them like, you know, don't listen to them, blah, blah, blah. Her head isn't spinning around. She's, she's telling the truth. But, but for three days, she's yelling this out. She's yelling this out. And, and Paul's trying to preach the word. He's trying people to hear him. And he finally gets tired of it. And turns to the girl, rebukes the demon, and it leaves. And when the demon leaves, she loses her ability to make money for her owners. And her owners get mad at this. So mad that they rally a crowd and they arrest Paul and Silas and take them to the magistrate. And at before they get put in prison, they are stripped, their robes are taken off, and they are beaten with rods. Already stoned. I mean... If you read through the light, I mean, if you think following Jesus into the unknown is going to be all cake and pie, I don't think we're going to experience what Paul has. But like 
Paul was doing exactly what God asked him to do, going and sharing the message of his son. And he's beat and thrown in jail. And so we're going to pick up in Acts 16, verses 25. It's going to be in the screen behind us. And so they're, they're in jail, and they've probably heard what happened to, in, in Acts 12 to Peter and his escape. And so they put Paul and Silas in the center of the jail. They are all shackled, and there's guards posted. He's not going to lose them. So in verse 25, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Midnight. Being beat, stripped and beaten, they're now in prison, not knowing where, what's going to happen. Not too long from here, um, or maybe it's already happened, James, one of the original disciples, is run through with the sword. So it's getting real. So they're in prison, and what are they doing? They're praying and worshiping God. Like, that's just... Is that when, when we hit the unknown, when we hit a wall, is that our response of worshiping and praying? In verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Doors are open. Can you imagine? Like I, I've been to lots of prayer and worship nights. And I would say this was a success. When you pray and you worship and an earthquake comes and it opens the prison doors and your bonds are off, <laughs> like, boom. Yep. But like, everybody wants Paul and Silas to come to their prayer nights. In verse 27, it says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. He's aware, most likely, and even if he isn't aware, this is his job, and when his job isn't done correctly, there isn't like, oh, you know, don't do that next time. Don't let them escape. He knew what was coming, and he was going to take this into his own hands and kill himself. Verse 28, it says, But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if earthquakes were a common thing, or is it the first one they've ever experienced, but he was fully aware that something monumental has just happened. And when he's about to stab himself with his sword, and the prisoners say, no, 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 don't kill yourself, we're all still here. And he comes in, he turns on the light, and he's trembling with fear, and he falls on the ground. And I'm going to make some speculation here. I would assume that most jailers aren't known for their kindness. You know, this wasn't like a, you know, Jerusalem bed and breakfast. Like, oh, we'll have your meal ready at here. We're going to turn down your blanket. They are chained. So I'm assuming that his treatment matched the abuse that they had prior. 
Because he's a jailer. This is what he's known for, to keep people in prison. They're not like, oh, how are your feelings? All those chains are too tight. I've got an ointment for you. No. I mean, we'll see in just a second that he does something that uh, a little bit later that he it shows that he hadn't done before. In verse 30, it says, And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Every one of us at one point and every person we will ever encounter wants to know this one question. What if he is there, what do we have to do? And most of us, and I did this the first 18 years of my life growing up in church, I was looking for the set of, the set of minimum rules that I could follow, that God would still be okay with me and still allow me into heaven and not go to hell. Because, you know, no one's like, ah, I want to go to hell. I mean, normal people. But this is a thing that we're going to have to overcome because we still think. I mean, I, I still struggle at times with this, like, oh, I'm not doing enough. We'll have this mental thing that I need to do these things instead of, Believe. Now, our belief should move us to action. Don't hear me wrong. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It is His doing for us. And here's a jailer that I'm sure does not, previous to this, didn't think he was a candidate for... Um, Salvation. Didn't think he was probably even acceptable into this offering. In verse 32, so they didn't just say this, but in verse 32 they explained the gospel. It says, and they spoke the words of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So they share the gospel. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. That makes me think if he's washing their wounds now, he didn't do it previous. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. See, Jesus was explained and taught, and it led one man to action, and his actions changed his whole household. They were there hearing, seeing, experiencing this, and they were baptized. And I don't believe that Paul walked into this encounter going, yeah, getting ready to save this whole jailer's family. I think he's like, I just got beat and thrown in jail, but I still love Jesus. And I'm going to worship and pray and see what happens. And so, could you imagine baptizing someone whose sole job was to imprison you? And I don't, I don't think he even, the jailer, even knows what to do. So he washes their wounds, baptizes them. In 34 it says, And then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And here's a question that we have to encounter that I think Paul on this side of the story would say absolutely. But was, it wor was the jail time worth it? Because there's lots of unknown and awkward things that God is going to drive us through. That in the middle of that, God's going to do some pretty amazing things. That on the other side, I'm sure Paul 
would prefer not to go to jail, prefer not to be stoned or beaten and all these other things. But he was willing to trust God with himself to the point. And I'm sure in this, he's like, that's exactly why I was there. I think some of us miss out on those moments because we, we neglect the unknown. We, we neglect this moment of like, I'm not sure, I don't know what to do. And so we, we lose faith or we, 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 we kind of live in fear. And we forget that on the other side of things, God typically allows us to see what he's doing. But we have to get to the other side of it. Like before this moment happened, because I don't know what was going on in there. I don't know, like when those bo- like with me, if the bonds broke and the the doors open, I'm out. Like Peter went out. But what what in him in that moment said, "Stay." And I'm sure it happened pretty fast. Fast. But the moment the earthquake happened and the chains fell off, Paul, like God's about to do something. And he was willing to let that work itself out so that in this moment, his whole, the whole household of the jailer said yes to Jesus because him navigating this unknown. See, how we navigate the unknown will determine the outcome. How we navigate it in humility and in grace and compassion, these need to be the markers for our now. Because let me just tell you, on the, on the other end of whatever's going, all the stuff that's going on in our country right now, on the other end of this, the only thing, the predominant thing that people remember is how you treated them. Regardless of whether you think their opinion is crazy or, you know, they're, you know, the science, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to get in on, like, who's right or who's wrong, but how you treated them in the unknown will determine your ability to speak to them later. Let me just tell you, dialoguing on social media about hot topics is an idiotic thing to do. If you care that much about their potential wrong opinion, then invite them to coffee. Invite them to a walk around the park and have a dialogue face-to-face. We we ruin future relationships with people out of this wrongful desire to be right about something that, let me just tell you, we don't know. Right now, we don't know who's right or wrong in the corona, you know, whatever. You can say, oh, this science. I mean, you look, turn on different radios or different TV shows, and there's scientists that'll, that'll swing on both sides of like, no, no, it's okay. Yeah, oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, so... Like, we just have to realize that we don't know where this is going other than we can trust God with it. And we have to, in the middle of this, walk in humility and grace and compassion in all the things. Because we want to present ourselves with an opportunity that when they're ready, and the jailer was ready, on his face, trembling with fear, and Paul had an opportunity. I, I don't want us to miss opportunities to share this grace and mercy that we have in us. Because we were unable or unwilling to deal with the now moments that are uncomfortable. 
And so that's not the end of the story. A weird little interaction happens in 35 through 40. It says, but when it was day, so the jailer brought him back. The magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul, saying the magistrates have sent to let you go. And I'm sure the jailer's like, praise the Lord, like you're free, we did it. Therefore now go out in peace. And Paul in 37 says, but Paul said to them, we have been beaten publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. They have thrown us into prison and they and they do and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. So in the Roman Empire, Roman citizens are above everyone else. Every other person that's not a Roman citizen, I wouldn't even say they're a second rate citizen. They're just they're they're a occupied person. Rome owns them basically. But if you're a citizen, you have rights. And one of those rights is that you cannot, cannot be accused, thrown in jail, and abused. You have rights to go through a trial. They cannot just do that. And, and, and you're going to see in just a second, they're terrified when they find out that they're Roman citizens. And I don't know, because it doesn't tell us, whether Paul tried to, when they were being mobbed and beaten, to say, hey, we're Roman citizens, don't do this. Um, or whether he had... Um, sense enough by the Holy Spirit to just go, we're going to see how this plays out. Lots of commentaries that are read on this said this probably freed up the church of uh, Philippi from abuse that would have continued, but now there's a little fear (laughs) in them. So uh, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. Could you imagine? Like, that you beat me with a rod. And now you're groveling before me, apologizing. I'm sure he humbly accepted it. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and probably very politely asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, which was another family that had encountered the message of Christ. And their whole family said yes to Jesus. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. See, we, we don't know what our story is going to go. We, we don't know what God's trying to do right now with us. I mean, unless you're 100% prophetic and you've never been wrong, there's a lot of unknowns that are coming that we've got to learn to navigate them correctly. And so how do we get to this place of trusting God? Because that's the thing that I want to talk about. And I believe that we don't get there without fully understanding the person that we're trusting in. The reason why in 32 that they had to speak the word of the Lord, not just say, hey, believe in the Lord Jesus. Because like, it could have been like, you just say whatever, I'll believe in it. They taught them who they were believing in. Paul, who was a destroyer of the church, was at 
the stoning field of Stephen in approval of his death. Who had no intentions of becoming a Christian, had no intentions of helping build the church until God knocked him off of his horse and said, you, Paul, are going to be my servant. And in that encounter, Paul, from what we see in the word, didn't waver because he understood who he served. He understood where God had him. Like, How do you move from being a a destroyer of the church to taking a stoning, taking a beating, going to prison over and over and over again until he eventually is murdered in prison in Rome, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I think the only way that you get there is you understand who you serve. You understand. I, I know we, we worship, we sing songs about this God that does these amazing things. But do we understand it enough that we can trust him with these moments? So here, here's a question for you. Who are you in the story? There's three main groups. There's an angry mob and no one wants to be the angry mob. Like, well, that's me. But lots of us at times are ruled by money because that was why the mob was there. They lost their right to make money off this girl because the demon was been removed. Greed and jealousy. Lots of times we miss out on what God's trying to do in our story because we're more interested in our money and in our name and in our being right to actually see what God's going to do. And some of us are neutral. And I'm not saying the jailer was neutral because he was on the other side, but he's neutral in the sense that he was doing his job, living his life, had no intentions prior to this of going, man, I need a religious experience that's going to change my life. Until we had an encounter with the living God, beginning with an earthquake. Or we get to be Paul, who didn't understand where God was going to take him. You, you read through Acts, there's several times he he wanted to go to Asia. And God's like, nope, not yet. I need you to go here. He wanted to go places and God would God would direct him and move him exactly where he wanted. So how do we get to this place that we can trust God? And the only thing that I can tell you is it takes continual action and understanding, growing in your understanding of who you're being obedient to. Seeing this image of this, this, I mean, understanding that God knew our dilemma and our inability and sent his son to come here and interact with us. So that we could have this moment. Like, I think I don't think we read the Gospels because we're we're so over familiar with them that we forget how controversial it was for Jesus to interact and invite people into his kingdom that no one else thought they belonged there. Because he was the one that was going to change them, encounter them, bring life to them. 
Just like I said a minute ago, Paul went from a destroyer of the church to a do-anything-for-Jesus because he had an encounter with the living God that changed him forever. I, I love the um, Graves the Garden song. Uh, I've been listening to it for a little bit, and there was a line in it that I wrote down during first service. It says, you are the only one who can. Look, let me just let me break some news to you. This church cannot save your soul. The awesome about call myself senior pastor, lead pastor, cannot save your soul. Only he can. And I believe that God is in the business, and God is is in the business for 2020 to do something radical in the church that's going to change the church. I'm not sure church is going to be the same. I mean, this is what you see a little bit later when persecution hit, hits Jerusalem and they're forced to go out. The church expanded out of the unknown. It expanded out of these moments where they don't know what to do next, but they just kind of go to safety out of the city, and the great thing is, is church went with them because church was their relationship with Jesus, and the church expanded because of that. I'm going to invite our worship team back up here. I don't know what you are struggling with. I don't know where your trust level is. Maybe you have no trust. Maybe to you, Jesus has not done anything to prove himself to you maybe you're still on the side of like i don't even know like how how do i trust somebody that i'm not even familiar with and i get it and the beauty of it is is the jailer was just the same and until his moment came he was just living his life. And then an earthquake. So I don't know what your earthquake is. I don't know what God's going to do to transition you out of this, I'm not sure, into I trust you. But I'm okay with the journey that it takes to get you there. Because I understand that I spent a lot of time in and around church missing this guy named Jesus. And then finally, uh, my encounter was in July of 94. I was done being my own Savior who did my own works to get myself into heaven. I was done getting baptized because that was one of the tickets you had to punch to get into heaven, which is true. And I was ready to surrender to Jesus. And let me just tell you, it's a roller coaster ride of trust. I was 18 years old. I was not in a place that I thought, you know, one day I'm going to pastor a church. I'm going to I'm going to move out of my hometown and plant a church. I had no desire to be in ministry, but all I've done for the last 26 years is reluctantly at times said yes to Jesus. 
And you're in this room hearing this message because in the unknown, I was willing to trust Jesus. And that's not me saying, hey, every one of you are going to plant a church and it's going to be awesome. But God's going to use those who are willing to say, God, I'm just I'm available for you. And so my encouragement for you today, what I'd love for us to do during this last song is just continue this mantra, isn't the right word, but continue this phrase, saying it to ourselves, Lord, we trust you. In the middle of getting thrown into whatever prison is coming your way, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pray and worship, and I'm going to believe that you have something in store. So let's pray. Lord, it is easy to be faithful on the other end of seeing what you're doing with our now obedience. It is another thing to be faithful when we don't know. What we don't know what's coming next, what we don't know what to do with this scenario that we're in right now. But Lord, I pray that you would help us move into this place of understanding that you've always had our best interest, that you're, you're leading us to life. And Lord, for those in this room that might be on the, the, the opposite end of like, I'm not, I, I don't know about if that's for me. Lord, I, I pray that you would encounter them that you would call them into your kingdom, Lord, that they would know you. And not out of guilt or shame, but they would know that you have done all of these things so that they could have life and life abundantly. So wherever we find ourselves at today, help us increase our level of trusting you. Lord, we love you. Please receive our worship and our life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.